0: Once again, this afternoon we confess together the Belgic Confession Article 1 about the nature of God. Let's confess together. We believe in the heart and confess with the mouth that there is a unique and simple spiritual being who we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, and infinite, who is wise and the overflowing source of all good things. Let's pray. We pray, Father, that as we hear your word preached, that you would impress upon us your majesty, uh, your nature in terms of how we understand that nature through your attributes. Help us as always to hear your law, convicting us of sin, and the gospel, convicting us of Christ and his mercy alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The scripture lesson comes from Psalm 90, all verses You can find that on page four ninety six of your Pew Bibles. (coughs) Once again, we hear God's word from Psalm ninety, all verses, and you can find that on four ninety six. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days." Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. This afternoon in our continuing series in the Belgic Confession, Article 1, we examine God's attribute of eternity. God's eternity means that he is not confined by limits of time. Thus, he does not have a past, he does not have a future. He could be described as the eternal present. After all, he is. One theologian defines God's eternity as that perfection of God whereby he is elevated above all temporal limits in all succession of moments, and possesses the whole of his existence in one indivisible presence. Now we'll understand this uh, attribute of eternity more clearly from Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is considered to be a community lament. Um, a lament is a complaint to God, but always falls in the context of trust. Uh, This lament, this particular lament, is penned by Moses. And uh, in this uh, particular psalm, the church is crying out to God for help because of the trouble of a short, difficult life. And we understand that uh, Psalm 90 falls into three distinct sections. First, you have verses 1 through 6. And here the community, the Old Testament church, addresses Yahweh, the one who has existed before all things. This God is praised as eternal in contrast to the fleeting life of man. There's a second section in verses 7 through 12. The church laments or complains about this short, difficult life. But at the end of the section, the church prays for wisdom to recognize human mortality rightly, to understand that life is short. Third, in verses 13 through 17, the church prays for help. She prays for confidence in the eternal God. So Israel, the Old Testament Church recorded this Psalm in the context of great difficulties in the short life. They essentially say that life is short and hard and then you die. You've heard that before, life is hard and then you die, but this Psalm 90 is saying the same thing. And of course it doesn't take long to contemplate your destiny before you experience fear, dread, anxiety, and disease. So kids, as we mentioned before a few weeks ago, uh, just recently, uh, you will die someday. It could be soon, it could be a long time, but you will die. Now you hardly uh, think about that now, but you will do so increasingly as you grow older. And you and your parents will derive comfort and security in the face of death as you understand God's eternity. So understanding God's eternity is a great source of comfort and encouragement. Therefore, first you must understand how, in fact, life is short and difficult. Second, the natural sense of disease that comes with that understanding is counteracted by an understanding of God's eternity. The significance of God's eternity is obvious as you understand how short and difficult your life is. Psalm 90 is very clear about this. According to verse 3, God returns man to the dust. God returns man to the dust. And this is an allusion, of course, to the curse of mankind recorded in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve blow it, uh, they fall, and God curses them, saying that they will die. So mankind was not created to die, mankind was created to live for eternity. So the curse is, in part, that man would die and he would return to the dust from which he was created. And Islam here is emphasizing dust over soil. Uh, it could have used uh, ground, another term uh, for you know, the earth from which you come, but it, it emphasizes here dust. And this is a way in which to uh, emphasize man's humility. Uh, dust is the stuff that flies around here in the high desert. It's not rooted. It's, it's really useless in comparison to the dark, rich soil. In verses 5 through 6, you hear that your life is swept away like a flood. Your life is like a dream or like the grass. <clears throat> so that, you know this flood imagery is, is to uh, evoke this idea that you could be living one moment. You could be doing fine. Breathing away, and the next moment your lungs are filled with water, and you're dead. Your life is like the grass of the field in an arid, dry region. As you know well, living in this place, uh, grass has a short uh, moment of glory, and often it is encouraged by the dew of the night. The sun comes up, however, and it withers away. Well, notice that your life is not compared to the majestic parts of the creation, like the mountains. No, you're like the dust or the grass. James says that your life is like a mist, a vapor. He says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet do you not know that tomorrow, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes." Jumping to verse 10, you notice that the number of years is assigned to your span of life. If things go well, you live 70 years. If things go really well, you live 80 years. This, of course, is a generalization not an exact calculation. It is interesting to see how medical advances have allowed people to live on the average a much longer time. And of course, with this uh, consequence comes great pride. Now look, now we can live 90 years, or perhaps even 100 years. Now kids, when you think about that, you think that's a really long time. I mean, getting up to age 10 seems old, but wow, 100 years, that's a long time. But let me submit to you that if you lived 150 years, uh, 5,000 years, a billion years, it's a very short time in comparison to eternity. You think of that, what if you could live one million years? You think, wow, that's a long time, and it is, but really in comparison to eternity, it's nothing. James would say that, just like your life of 70 or 80 years, is just a mist, a vapor. Moses then, as he records the words of this community in Lament, doesn't pull any punches. He says your life is very short. But also he says that life is difficult. Verse 10 continues, The span of your years is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and you fly away. Verse 9 says that you bring your years to an end like a sigh, like a moan. And so really if you think about this psalm carefully, it's saying your life is really pathetic. Psalm 90 is not a health and wealth sermon. Psalm 90 is a disease and poverty sermon. I mean, consider one of the richest, the healthiest, and wisest people to have ever lived, King Solomon. Not Solomon the CEO, or Solomon uh, the owner of a big, huge company, but King Solomon of Israel, when Israel had its most expansive reign. According to Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon tried everything he could in this life. Everything. Intellectual pursuits, huge building projects, wine, women, and song. Everything. Everything he tried. He records that there's not one thing I did not try. And he got everything he wanted. He got all the health and wealth any person could ever want. But he concluded that all of this is what? Vanity and a striving after the wind, and there's no profit under The sun. you think of that? All is vanity as striving. By vanity, he means this. It's a very interesting word. It's also, uh, it's uh, Hevel, like uh, 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 um, Abel's name. Abel Hevel. uh, His life is short-lived. Your life is short-lived. And when he talks about this word in Ecclesiastes, he's saying it's like having the wind knocked out of you when you realize what life is really like. So, health and wealth is an illusion. You may have them for a while, but they can easily fly away. And you won't have them certainly in the grave. Life is rather full of disease and poverty. So, you get sick and you lose money. Things break. There's hope, but then dashed dreams. You get bored sometimes, really bored, and so you get really drunk, you crash your car. Tragedy strikes and then uh, strikes again and things get so bad you feel like you cannot take one more thing. But you and others can't take this truth, right? When something horrible happens, say your house burns down, what do people typically say? Everything will be okay. Everything will be alright. But that's not true. If you lose your house and everything in it, you've lost a lot. You've lost stuff, pictures, pets perhaps that mean a lot to you, and you cannot regain those things again. So not everything's going to be okay. You really suffered something. But we're so superficial, we cannot bring ourselves to mourn with others. We would never want to get down in the depths of somebody... Or rather, we run out to the store and buy a new tech toy or something like that and say to the person, everything's going to be okay, and we turn from them. You know, things are very difficult and horrible, and we need to mourn with those. Well, the church today has ignored Psalm 90, and many other scriptures that say life is very short, very hard, and then you die. And the question is, of course, why is life so short, and why do you die? Verses 7 and following... For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. It is a curse of God upon mankind and the creation itself because of Adam's sin. That's the answer. Paul says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. The answer to the curse of this life and death is found in the eternal God in Jesus Christ. So you must remember that the lament of the people in the psalm is in the context of hope in the eternal God. Real trouble, real difficulty is solved by a great and eternal God who is very unlike time-bound and trouble-bound man. In verses 1 and following, the community confesses that Yahweh has been their dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God does not have a beginning. God does not have an end. In fact, God is not measured by time at all. This means that God does not have a past moment or a future moment because he has always been and will ever be. Of course, this is very hard to understand uh, in comparison to your own existence. When you were born, I mean more properly, when you were conceived, your existence began. So that's when time began for you. And so you measure the days of your life from the point of your birth as a human being. You live 70, 80 years, as the psalmist says. But God does not experience time as you do. Notice verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. No, God is not measured or limited by time, as you and the creation are. As one theologian has said, time is a mode of existence. If there were no creatures, there would be no time. And Augustine said that time began with the creature. So God created time with the creation, right? Right? Your days are counted off by the movement of the earth around the sun. Time, then, is a succession of moments within which you live. Because you came into existence within a creation that came into existence itself, you and the creation have a past, present, and future. This one theologian says, One who says time says motion, change, measurability, limitation, finiteness. Time is the duration of creaturely existence. Time is a measure of motion in a movable object. Hence the same theologian says, there can be no time in God. From eternity to eternity, He is who He is. There is in Him no variation or shadow of change. God is not a process of becoming, but He is an eternal being. He is without beginning and without end but also knows no earlier and later. He can neither be subjective to measuring or counting in his duration. The eternity of God refers then to God's being, does not refer to a measurement of his existence. And this God revealed himself to Israel, who was suffering and lamenting the short, difficult life, all the things that we lament. It is a comparison of God's unique existence of eternity that gave them security, comfort, and hope in this life and for the life to come. And so, notice, uh, when you are facing trouble in this life, time often seems to go very slowly. That is, you become so focused on your problems, time becomes warped. It's interesting that the work that God has given you to do in this life makes time pass more quickly. Notice that the community in the psalm asks God to establish the work of their hands. And they repeat this twice at the end. Establish the work of our hands. This is a request that their work and existence would have meaning. This is important because their suffering seems to call this into question. And their suffering takes them away from a productive existence. Only the eternal God can give their work and existence meaning... Which will come to fruition in the person's eternal existence. That is, their work is given to them by God as a part of their meaningful existence in this life, which changes the way time feels. That means that something like this, that is, the way time passes, or it doesn't pass actually, in heaven, will happen in the future. There will only be the eternal present moment in existence full of meaning. this is what I mean. Let's think of an example. Uh, Kids often are bored because they don't like anything or they don't have anything to do. That is, they don't have anything they like to do, which is really to say anything uh, significant. So they have anything to do, which means they haven't found anything interesting to do. But notice that as people age and find many things to do of significance, time seems to fly. I mean, how many times have you heard older people say, I cannot believe how quickly the year has gone. In fact, the past five years have gone. The older person's perception of time is directly proportional to their significant activities, their work. This is even more so as Christians ask God to establish the work of their hands, to find significance in their work for God's glory. So now getting back to heaven, when sin and death and trouble are gone, then the productive existence of of heaven and eternity will happen, and you'll never be bored again. The time and trouble of which Psalm 90 speaks will no longer exist. Know the eternal God will share in some sense his eternity with his people. So one person says this. There is truth in the assertion that in hell there is no eternity but only time. And that the more a creature resembles God in his image, the more he or she will rise above the imperfections of time and approach eternity. That's very important. Let me repeat that. There is truth in the assertion. That in hell there is no eternity, but only time. And that the more a creature resembles God in his image, the more he or she will rise above the imperfections of time and approach eternity. So the reprobate in hell will find that time crawls by in his or her absolute misery. But the elect in heaven will not be in time as God is not in time the elect will experience the bliss of sinless eternity. So let's think think of an example. What happens when you become engrossed in a good novel, or a movie, or a conversation, or some other activity? You look down at your watch, and all of a sudden you say, where did the last two or three hours go? I cannot believe that it's been three hours since I started this book, or started the movie, or whatever. Well, heaven will be something like that. I mean, the big question is, and kids usually ask this question, Mom and Dad, I think I'm going to get bored in heaven. I mean, it goes on for eternity, right? Yes. After a trillion years, we just began, right? Yes. In fact, trillion years would be like a megasecond now. Mini-second. No, there's no marking out of time. W- won't I get bored? No, you will not get bored. It will be like being engrossed in some activity and you lose all sense of time because there is no time in heaven. There's only eternity. I mean, think of it. God is self-satisfied. A part of that is that He is not bound by time or space. He's not bound by time. He's beyond time. You're in time. We covered this this morning a little bit, but you are created to live forever and not bound to the earth God has entered His eternal rest. You will one day enter your eternal rest. That means uh, time and reality, the conception thereof in eternity is completely different from now. You carry on certain things in this life into heaven, but many of the terrible things like boredom, work by the sweat of your brow, all those things disappear. There will be no past. There will be no future. Only the eternal present, just like God. Let me think of that. No past, no future. Just the eternal present. So finally, you understand how important it is to confess this disease and poverty that we experience. Because you can turn your eyes to the eternal God for help. Verses 12 and following. The community says this, Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days now, that now we may have a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. I mean, what a profound confession. Make us glad for the trouble you've brought upon us. I mean, how often do we pray that? This is a confession of faith, though, in the eternal God who will bring all things to their proper end. This is a prayer for wisdom by numbering our days. That is, it is uh, people that are asking to understand and believe their own sin and God's perfection of eternity and holiness. Is to understand that, to come to grips with that. They wish to be satisfied with God's steadfast love, that is, His covenant love. These people and you cannot find security and comfort in human striving exactly because of sin and the feebleness of a short-lived life. But there is security and comfort found in God's covenant. That is, His covenant of grace established by Abraham because of Christ. With Christ as mediator, a relationship between temporal sinful man and eternal God is established. So notice in verse 1 that the everlasting God is a dwelling place among his people. God is a dwelling place. As one person says, because God dwells in eternity, that is, transcends time, he can indwell time freely. That means the eternal God has identified himself in certain locations throughout redemptive history. And this is quite profound when you understand how God is eternal. So God identifies himself uh, in a storm cloud in Genesis chapter 3, a ladder, um, a burning bush, a pillar of cloud and fire, a tabernacle, a temple, and finally he identifies himself fully in the person of Jesus Christ, the true and final temple. So God is inscrutable in His eternity, but the eternal Son of God became man to express the love and work of God. Jesus Christ came into your short-lived existence to experience the same. His work to do the law and to suffer eternal death in one instance saved you from God's permanent wrath and curse in hell where time would wrap itself around you forever. I mean, think of that. Theologian's comment is very profound. Those in hell live in time. They continue on and time crawls. But not for you. Jesus' work was sealed when he rose from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand. His resurrected body means your resurrected body, which defies death and enters eternity. In conclusion, it is important for us, church... To confess that life is short-lived, it is difficult, and then we die. We wish to be very superficial, to ignore that, to uh, give ourselves injections of whatever the society has to give us, but no, nonetheless, our life is very difficult. But God is eternal, far beyond the constraints of time and space. He reveals His nature and love and grace and mercy to you through Christ. Because Christ has destroyed death and raised to life himself, you'll be living and breathing forever with no end. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And now, brothers and sisters, let us close this Lord's Day with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the comfort of your word and that you are eternal. We do adore you, we worship you, uh, because of this attribute, as well as many other attributes. We thank you that you are the inscrutable God, the one who is far, far beyond us, yet you have uh, revealed yourself, expressed yourself in Christ, and for that we are grateful. Thank you, Lord, that we can cling to Christ always. In his name we pray. Amen. Now let us return our gifts and offerings during this time.